Temple Weekly Review. This week we're going to be looking at Neurosis's album Through Silver in Blood, released in 1996, followed by Botanist's album Flora 6, released in 2014, and the new album by Steel Bearing Hand called Slay in Hell, released in 2021. So Floyd, what do you think of Neurosis? Um, it's a very seminal album. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, one of those albums that's uh, super important to the scene, I think. And you know, Neurosis are a band that have quite an interest in, I'm fucking suffering up saying the word trajectory, but I'll use it again. They've got a really interest in their trajectory, because like, if you ever listen to their earlier shit, that's like so, it's almost like hardcore, punky and stuff, and it's um, like this album really kind of turned shit on its head, and I think what I find cool about their kind of style of, I think it's hard to categorise them, but like, if you were to categorise them, you said they're kind of like sludgy post-metals, almost, but whereas I think Cult of Luna are a, a sort of band that have a similar style, their music is quite ethereal and almost pretty. It's whereas much this prettier. Is, <laughs> whereas like this is almost in some contexts the same genre, but just far more anxiety This is <laughs> like, you're in an alleyway, you don't know why you're there, and there's a guy with a knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's coming towards you, and you're not entirely sure why. That's this album, yeah. But I think um, Steve Von Till described it best himself. He said, he might have been referring to the recording process, but I think he described the whole thing as kind of like a railroad through hell. I have read the same thing that you have read. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a perfect... Uh, he might have been describing the recording process, to think at the time they were all going through some pretty mad shit. Like, I think Scott Kelly was homeless at the time. He was indeed. Um, yeah, which is never going to be a... a not, never going to not be a stressful situation. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's a perfect uh, kind of a summary of the music because it's, you know, it's really, like, truly apocalyptic sounding. And I think, you know, even the first track, the title track, Through Silver and Bloods, I think even the lyrical content is almost depicting like an apocalypse-like scenario. It's kind of like a post-war kind of situation. I think that's what even the whole, you know, the album cover with the blood running down the eyes, I think mm. that's in reference to, you know, the, the damage that can be caused by nuclear war. They have like that, that song with the um, nuclear bomb transfiguration kind of idea in it. Isn't there one where like they, they, they quote a guy, I don't, I, I'm so bad at making notes this week apparently um i've just written a nuclear bomb tied to transfiguration of christ what am i talking about there's a transformation of world through light quote in become the ocean i don't know what that means yeah but that's there it's the oh, same. Uh, we'll run with it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks neurosis i hope you're enjoying my feedback but um, do you know, it's we were, it's funny to start to drop when we were discussing uh last when we were talking about um, doing a neurosis album because mm. i think it was um I think there are bands that just, I think, have got had so much influence on the scene. Like, you hear it in Mastodon, 100%. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you listen to this and you're like, oh, my God, this is totally where Mastodon have got. Especially that early shit, like, um, Remission. Like, that's totally, like, Neurosis-like, in my opinion. But we were talking about um, kind of which album to do. And I think you were both saying that your favourite albums are A Sun That Never Sets, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's true, because that is, like, I do... Because I actually re-listened to that album again, because it's been a while since I've, like... What it went through because they've got quite an extensive discography and the music is quite heavy, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not like one of those bands you just throw them at any point, but like, um, I just totally forgot how kind of melodic the album was mm. and almost like you know, much more accessible than this. Like, this is kind of like a real, like, fucking beast of a fucking album. 
I was reading like a Steve Until interview and he talked about how he had like a neighbor who was a biker and oh. like they didn't he was like talking to his neighbor and he was like, Oh yeah, I've just released this album through Silver and Blood, here's like a CD. Apparently his neighbor went home and listened to it and came back and he was like, Man, that was like being punished. Apparently <laughs> 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 Until was like yeah, like, they, they, he had, like, a really interesting thing that he said that they were already obsessed with repetition at the time and the idea of repetition. And I quote that he was saying, if it sounds good four times, well, how will it sound after 32 times? If that was, well, that was pretty good, but fuck everyone, how about 64 times? And it was written as a kind of punishment to whoever would dare listen. But ultimately, we were the ones paying the price for physically having to play it. So I think that was just a way of keeping it sonically interesting. If you're going to repeat something that many times, how do you carve out an interesting psychedelic sound? Yeah. Do you know, that totally makes sense to me because I think it's got a very hypnotic feel mm. a lot of the times. And you know, I think that's actually helped a lot by the drums because it's very, like, Tom heavy, the drums. Yeah. Uh, that's Tom, the drum equipment, not a random individual named Tom. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> and like Say it's it just... three times and like someone will appear. <laughs> yeah. But it's um no, I think like the drums really add to that because they're really quite tribal in a lot of parts. Like you yeah. think it's funny the first track, the title track through Silver and Blood, I think is actually quite a almost a perfect encapsulation of what, what's kind of ahead in store in the rest of the album. And I really like the way, because they've got some tracks that are a bit shorter in length, like you've got I and Locust Star, which are like, you know, a bit more accessible and a bit more kind of groovy and punchy and, you know, a bit more easier to, I don't want to say easier to get into, but it's a bit more for the immediate ear to get behind. Whereas, yeah, the other tracks are a bit more long and drawn out and, you know, quite, quite pained, yeah. I find. This reminds me of um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I don't know if you've ever read it or what. I've not watched the film, but it's like that similar bleakness of like, you feel like you're on a journey. You feel like you're yeah. in purgatory and there's like no end in sight. You said you've read the book. Or... I've read the book, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've seen the film, but not read the book. Um, um, the book is fucking brutal. Yeah. I don't know what the film is like. It's fucking depressing. It's got bigger, more tension than it. But yeah. I have seen the film. Yeah. I think, no, you said, yeah, no. He was on the cover of the book, it was like the film cover. Ah, got you. But yeah, yeah. I have seen, there's like that basement scene with the people. Oh yeah, they're the like kind of zombified or something. They're like, they've kept the people alive, but they've like chopped off their legs and arms to eat them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think me and my partner on the whim, we just thought, should we go watch a film? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Odeon around the corner actually, funny enough, and trying to cross roads. Date night, babe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what's playing the roads? And I was like, oh yeah, I think it's like a post-apocalyptic like thriller. And it's like, like just came out and just like, oh, I just fucking go home now. <laughs> oh, done. That is such a brutal new racist statement. <laughs> <laughs> but John, you know, that's perfect. It literally like as soon as you mentioned that, I was just like, yeah, it's like the perfect pairing. Like I think it's almost the perfect soundtrack for that sort of uh, story. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely bleak. It's so bleak. Um, and I just, I really enjoy that bleakness. I mean, it's it's a very good lockdown album if you want to have a black sheep wall moment from the 90s, I say. Yeah. I think for me, it's just me and Shem were mentioning this uh, the other week. Where, um, if I listen to this, like when I first started getting into guitar music, like if I listened to this, like back then, I'd be like, the fuck is this? I was like, I am not into this one iota but like i think now it's i'm so glad i listened to it when i was at the right time to appreciate it properly mm. because um 
because to me, I've always I've been in love with this album for a long time, and it's um, to the point where I actually put off listening to a lot of their other discography for the longest time. So I was thinking, well, I mean, you can't really, I can't see how it can kind of improve past this point. But they have done some great albums, like since and before as well. Definitely, I, I can I still remember very clearly the first time I ever heard them. I was at High Voltage Festival, um, like probably 2010 it was a long time ago god that's like more than a decade now um and i was just walking around i'd never heard of them i didn't know who they were and there was like dream theater were playing that year so the main stage was over there and there was like a smaller stage like a way small stage and there were these guys with these huge japanese drums and i was like whoa what are these like japanese drumming is really cool and they had the huge drums they had like three people on stage just hammering away and it was neurosis yeah and and i just stood there and i was in total awe everyone was just like what the fuck this yeah. is so good and they were probably the best band of the festival because it's the only band whose set i actually remember yeah where was high foliage it was in victoria park oh, okay so it's near here it's like near hyde park oh got it I have no recollection of that festival, I've never heard of it before. It's a really good festival. Oh. Yeah, they had like Sabbath? No, yeah, maybe, they might have had Sabbath. They had Dream Theater headlining uh, that year, and I think the year after they had like Aussie or something. I am, um, I've only, I nearly saw them live once. It was, um, it was when Yob. Was that Godflesh? Godflesh. And Neurosis Bell was really, had a really bad cough, and I was just like, and it was so smoky, and the oh, venue was in the forum. In Kentish Town, I was like, I fucking can't do it. I'm just gonna have to go home. I remember seeing that lineup and being like, ah, oh, I really want to go, but I'm way too lazy. I just want to stay. I think I was working that day or something. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy how many gigs you miss just out of sheer like apathy or laziness. Because oh, I'll go catch him next time. Yeah. If only yeah. I knew. Yeah. <laughs> if only in 2019 I hadn't bailed on like five gigs. Oh God. But no, I um. There's a couple of tracks I really like on this album. Um, I think I like all the tracks really. I mean, minus the interludes because you know they're just interludes. Um, um, I think "I" is a great track. It's mm -hmm. the third track. I really love the. Um, I think as a vocalist, I always appreciate when you've got uh, quite a lot of vocal dynamics going on. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've got the three vocalists. Obviously, I think um, uh, Scott and Steve are almost quite indistinguishable with their voices. They're very yeah. similar. I think. I think Steve just does a lot of backup mm -hmm. to Scott's vocals, but then you've got Dave, the bassist. He does all like the deep, like proper bellowing like vocals, and it's because it, it's funny because it's 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 kind of sounds like growling, but it's not overly distorted and comical like a lot of death metal vocals. It it's still quite me natural. Of some of like some of the vocals remind me of early Mastodon vocals. Yeah, totally, and you yeah. can totally hear that's where they took their yeah. inspiration from. And it's just like in the track I, it's just really good. It's, it's really cool how they juxtapose like the higher register, kind of like screams and yells with like Dave the bassist's like almost subterranean vocals. And I just think it's a really cool, um, just adds a new layer to the music. You know, Mastodon formed at a High on Fire show. And I reckon that oh, yeah. Matt might have taken some of his vocals from Neurosis too, because he has yeah. a similar bellowing way of singing as well. Yeah. So maybe they both, I don't know if like they got it through Matt or if they both got it, they probably obviously knew who Neurosis were, because it's Mastodon. But yeah, Shamacris. Um Yeah, it's just really cool. They have definitely influenced like a mad number of bands. I feel like it's another Converge situation yeah. where they probably spawned like a huge variety of different flavours of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few bands that kind of fall into that category. I think Converge are one, or Converge, which is where you want to go about it. Uh, Meshuggah, for better or worse. I think they're, uh, 
one of those seminal bands as well. Yeah. But um, I think Neurosis, to me it's funny because for ages I would see, um, before I listened to them, Neurosis kind of reminded me of like the um, the tool of the extreme metal world. Oh gosh. Not sonically, just by the fact that everybody that seemed to be into Neurosis were like super fucking like high IQ. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what a lot of tool fans are like. They think they're the smartest motherfuckers in the world. That's why I'm just calling out tool fans now. They, I mean, I hate tool. But that's kind of what I thought Neurosis fans were a bit like. I thought yeah. oh, maybe they're just one of these, like, you know, bands that don't have as much substance as the fans think they do. Mm. But then I listened to it and I was just like, no, this is fucking unreal. Like, this is this is some god tier shit. Yeah, they are fucking really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw, but Steve Till had a set at Roadburn Redux last week. And he did, like, um, a really intimate kind of kind of really emotional set. It was really good. No, I did not see that. I, I, I regret to say I've not caught any of the Redux performances. It's too late now. They, they only were online until the Tuesday. Oh shit, so they're not staying online? No, no. The, oh, the, all the up. bands are keeping the rights to the filming so they can use them as they like so you might yeah. see them pop uh, up again. There were some really good sets. Like The yeah. way they filmed them were amazing. Yeah. Oh shit, I'm really glad I missed that now. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realise you didn't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm now moving house, so I've had so much shit on my plate, yeah. I'm sure you'll see some of the sets pop up on yeah. YouTube and stuff. I did, funny enough, mention I did see that Steve Von Till released a music video, I think, either today or yesterday, for one of his solo oh. projects he's got. On. So it might have been something that probably was featured in this set there. But, Maybe, um, yeah. But that's cool, and every time I've ever seen them in interviews or read in the interviews, they seem quite openly vulnerable. Mm. And I think that's always been something that I quite um, admire in a lot, a lot of sort of musicians who kind of wear their heart on their sleeve and kind of, uh, you can definitely hear it in the music. Like I think, you know, when you hear, going back to the vocals again, you know, it's not like your standard, you know, harsh vocals that are overly distorted or almost like, you know, it's technique heavy, like it's very raw and visceral. And it's kind of got that kind of, that's, I think that might even harken back to the whole uh, punk rock aesthetic that they kind of started with, you know, that's all about, mm. you know, just doesn't matter how it fucking sounds, you just lay it out there and whatever it comes out is, you know. I like that they're not trying to make their pain look cool. I think some bands yeah. do that in metal where they try and like, they try and pass it off as just like raw masculine aggression, whereas these guys, I feel like they're actually like sad, like really sad, yeah. they need hugs and you know it's for music for people who are like cool with that kind of um, openness and, and vulnerability which I think is really cool even if like from an outsider's perspective or a first time listen you might not necessarily get that from the music. Yeah, yeah I think, I think that's a quite a good description of kind of like a lot of extreme metal in general. I think a lot of times to a lot of times it takes a while to warm up to it. It could sound quite impenetrable to someone that's not having such an elitist to say that your ears need to be a bit more trained to appreciate it. But I do think it's actually true. We were the high IQ fans all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's but like it's like it's but I, I think I would have been in the same boat myself. Like if, when I was listening to fucking you know new metal and someone put on this, I'd be like, oh, this is boring. Yeah. But like you know, just fucking. I think it just depends where you're coming from really. It depends where you are on the railroad. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, I wouldn't really recommend this to like a 16 year old metalhead that's like just discovering things and wants to listen to those of Pantera and yeah. not that I recommend listening to Pantera, but um, you know, if you're at that stage, then this probably isn't for you. I think this is like a really good band 
for people to discover on their own and like stumble across and be like, what is this shit? Yeah. Because I wouldn't like recommend this band to a lot of people personally. No. I think an interesting thing as well I noted is the fact that they've had the same lineup since this album. They have had a very consistent lineup. Yeah, yeah. most of the members have been in there since the beginning, so since 1985. So, which is a. Uh, I was reading about that. Testament to the band's synergy, to coin a, an American term. There's a whole oh, really synergy <laughs> about that one word. Do you remember it? No, I've not seen it. It's like some like boardroom 90s Simpsons episode <laughs> of like, synergy, it's a word! <laughs> I, I don't know why I remembered that. Yeah, there's a Steve Montill interview and he's talking about how the reason he thinks that they've stayed together so long is because like they haven't made it their full-time gig and they like step away from it when they need to step away from it and they won't like put pressure because they have they all have loads of families and they all have lots of mouths to feed. Yeah. So they they realized early on that they can like necessarily not unless they were touring like 200 days a year they yeah. won't be able to make any money off it. And they won't be able to live comfortably. And they were saying that the Melvins are probably probably the only band they know that's like actually able to live full time off what they do, and they tour like every day. Yeah. But know. I think such is the nature of being like a, a heavy music band, right? Because yeah. you're not. It's that's the realism of the situation. Is you're not going to make a living off of this alone unless you are one of the zero point zero zero one percent that become the next. I don't know. Lamb of God or mm. whoever is signed one of those old dudes or whoever's popular that's making money <laughs> at the moment. Ghosts, I suppose they're big. Um, but yeah, and it's like, you know, I think that makes sense to me because I think, you know, if you, that's probably the death of a lot of bands that, yeah. that go into that mindset thinking that if they put enough hard work and grit and determination and put all, you know, sack off everything else to put everything into this project, that things are going to be a success. And I think when things don't go the way they expect them to. I think that's what just fucking just derails a lot of bands and just kind of makes them realise that, you know, there's not much money in the metal scene. I think it's worth your playing this kind of metal too. It's even harder to make money because, like, you can't really market this kind of metal for a mass audience. You can't do, like, neurosis dildos and, no. like, <laughs> you, you know, you can't have, like, a really colourful neurosis shirt with, like, rainbows and... Satan and things like that. It's not gonna. It's just not going to appeal to as many people. And like, I'm sure there's some like mad marketing exec out there who could like make a shit ton of money off neurosis. But I feel like they wouldn't want to do it that way either. It yeah. doesn't feel like it fits their sound and their story. Um, and I think in general, like a lot of metal bands, they don't. They don't. They like you say. You know, we have this idea of like films that we watched in the '90s of like a band is really good, and some A and R guy in the back is like, "Hey, I'm the A and R guy." <laughs> and then, like, there's yeah. a montage, and then two weeks later, all the labels done all the work, and they get loads of money that they don't have to pay back, and like, they actually retain all the rights to their music, and they yeah. don't have to like have horrible legal battles, and and they're just rich for life. And then you know, there's a girl, and they break up, and everything's sad. Um, yeah, it just doesn't. It's not like that anymore. Funny enough, that reminds me of how I got recommended the video of DMX on Instagram. Doing, he wasn't rapping; it was more like a spoken word thing. Mm -hmm. He was talking about the industry. It was really good. It was basically yeah, just saying how people just get chewed up and spell yeah. and how the industry is actually, they don't act like it, but the truth is they're dependent on the artists because they're not creating art themselves. Yeah, well, they're the product. Yeah. Yeah, they need a product. Yeah. And it's just, it's just bullshit, really. Um, but going back to Neurosis quickly, um, one of the things that I really enjoy about this album in particular, it's the first album featuring Noah Landis, who's the, the keyboard. Yeah. 
and samples and tape. And I don't know if he is solely responsible for these parts of some of the tracks, but there's some really like well-placed samples in a lot of the tracks. They're like really industrial sounding. Yeah. yeah. It sounds yeah. like, it literally sounds like a train. Yeah, it's like a yeah. screeching sound. And he uses yeah. it it's in quite a few tracks. The Locust Star is featured very prominently. It's like a... Yeah, it's a really, really loud sound. It's like really jarring on camera. It's like, like someone's hitting the side of a train with like a giant drum thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote down it sounded like a, a robot whale. So <laughs> your description was much better. I think robot whale is much better actually. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like it's just really like cool. It just adds like a just that because we were talking off camera. I'm not a big industrial fan, but I do like if elements of like you know electronic are used quite tastefully, and I think it's done very very tastefully in this album. This is like really close to Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. I think that came out in like 92, 91. This is 96. And um, yeah, I, I love Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. And I like some industrials. A lot of it's really cringe. Yeah. Um, but this is, this, like, this is how I felt I imagined industrial would be when I started listening to it. And then it was just like Combi Christ. <laughs> like really horrible. But I think that's the thing. You've got that divergent moment where I think yeah. industrial goes, you get the industrial that veers more towards symphonic music, mm. which I don't like. But I then you've got that. the industrial kind of more similar to elements of this album, which are really like kind of more reminiscent of urban decay and just... Like carnate and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's uh, what's, what's another song I really liked that I want to talk about? I really like Strength of Fate. Mm-hmm. Because I thought that had some really fucking despairing vocal work, and it starts with like a um, just a really melancholic riff. And I think it's the first track on this album that has the the um, the sung backing vocals before it generally escalates into something a bit more kind of visceral and harsh. And I think um, judging from what I was reading about the lyrics as well, I think it's talking of some pretty you know like deep shit. I think themes of suicide and just general, you know, they're not giving a fuck about life anymore. There was a lot of like war imagery and like prey and hunting and and like just de desperate desolation and decay things like that. I think I wrote down a few choice cuts. Um, I've just written wow I'm so, oh, Jesus Christ Nina. I've just written stuff like marching to slaughter, soul salvation, um, song of broken wings, prey vision consumed, animal war. Like it's all really like cold and. It's literally industrial in a way. Um, or the idea of people marching to slaughter and then having that like nuclear bomb kind of um, imagery as well, and it being tied to religion, I thought was quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's it's they really do a good job of um, creating quite a I don't want to say maybe cinematic, but at times it does have kind of a cinematic soundscape to it. Yeah, it sounds like those those backdrops you get when people in bands play live. I'm pretty sure these guys do it. We have like nuclear bombs in the background and stuff like that. You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And like yeah. war imagery and black and white film and stuff. Yeah, I've got to tell the story. Um, when I was watching Godflesh play, uh, I think they close the second stage of Bloodstock one year mm. and they do the thing with the big uh, backdrop and it was, um, I think they have like images of, it's um, oh, a big album, Street Cleaner. Yeah, and it's, it's got images of like, it's, uh, it's like a dude burning or something, if I remember correctly. And like, just loads of like apocalyptic, fiery images. And then halfway through the set, 
Uh, I think the computer crashed. Just had the Windows era logo where they're playing this horrifically oh, oppressive, no. sludgy music. I think it was, it was so British, no one told them it was happening. So no one thought to have a word between songs. So, by the way, the fucking computer's crashed. I've seen that happen so many times. I, I watched um, from the box of Agushka, or whatever, whatever that's bloody called, open for Bordrina. And um, they had like a laptop. There was two guys with laptops wearing like balaclavas and suits in the Royal Festival Hall. And I was just like, who are these guys? And they come up and they're like, they're getting ready. And it just, like everyone's sitting there waiting for Wardruda. And then like on the projector, it just comes up with the screen <laughs> With like the field, like the window. Oh, the classic one. <laughs> and it's got all their files and they're just like clicking the files. <laughs> and that's just them coming up. <laughs> That's the beginning of the show, guys. Oh, <laughs> it was really. And they had these like plimps that are just like evil suited men computer guys. That's, <laughs> that's almost as good as when we saw that guy support Grails. Oh, the drumming man! <laughs> yeah, what was that guy? What was he called? It was from like Gorilla oh, yeah. Zombie. It was from Zombie. <laughs> oh, Gorilla. Oh, we, <laughs> we thought he was sound checking. We thought he was sound was checking. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the security, we were sitting down because we thought he was sad. Checking the security told us to stand up. He like yelled at us. He like yelled at us to say, he was like, stand up. Stand up. And we're like, okay. And then this guy's just like drumming and it just keeps going. And then we're just like, it was so weird. Is this, is this the set? Is this it? And then like half an hour later, we're like, I guess that was the set. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was the guy. Yeah. It was so bad. It was just a, it was just a man drumming. He didn't even like he didn't even make eye contact with the audience. He just walked on, sat down with the kid, and was just like it was just like a half hour drum solo. God, there's a, t- there's a couple of projects like that. What's the other one? Have you seen that guy, Author and Punisher? Yeah. Like a Dutch dude, and he's got I've like heard a, of them. I thought he, they were really popular. So yeah. it's this one dude and he's got like, this homemade machine that looks like something out of like fucking GCSE mm. technology. And he's just moving shit back and forward and he's making all these <laughs> It's actually really cool. It's like we get it, bro, you have no friends. You know, that's like, <laughs> you know like, it's a really old idea. That idea is like 40, 50 years old now, because there was a guy, I can't remember his fucking name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there was a guy in like the sixties, I think, and he came up with the idea of a prepared piano which is where you get an upright piano and you basically like drop bricks and spoons and like loads of shit into it and he wrote an entire like symphonies using prepared pianos and like every prepared piano sounds different because it's out of tune it's all fucked you literally get a hammer and you just take a hammer to this piano it was john cage apparently john cage there we go of course fucking jesus christ anyway so john cage he came up with this idea of the prepared piano i've seen one being used actually at the same venue i saw at the royal festival hall it i had a migraine really (laughs) it It must have been jarring it was like a two hour performance oh fuck using and it it was really cool it's like you're like oh this piano is full of spoons and hammers and bricks it's just like and it just sounds really weird. They're like press yeah. a key, you don't know what sound it's gonna make. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like the author and punisher thing. That comes from John Cage. So it's old as like it's not as it's, it's modern, but it's not as contemporary yeah. as people realise. Speaking of old bizarre instruments, it's listed on a uh, line that Dave Edwardson, the bassist, is also playing the Moog. And I had no idea what the fucking Moog was, so I had to research it. Isn't that the keyboard thing? Yeah, it's, it's like a is. like a synthesizer keyboard type thing. I love but... Moogs. Trent Reznor uses Moogs. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was quite cool. I just like the word Moog. <laughs> yeah. Moog. 
In Star Trek, the Ferengi um, Quark calls his mother Moogie. Moogie, that's There possible. you go. That's a good fact, which I've already forgotten. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so th that's Neurosis, that's a really yeah. good album. Also, I want to give a shout because we mentioned it before we started filming, that's a, the bagpipe um, the bag outro pipes. on Purify was great. And Purify is a great track. Actually voted the heaviest track of all time. No By way. someone, can't remember who. Yeah. It might have been Terrorizer. I want to say it was Terrorizer. Does that mean that we can vote for like random tracks to be the heaviest track of all time and people will be like, cite it? Because that would be really cool. Because I vote the intro for Thomas the Tank Engine to be the heaviest track of all time. Yeah, that was, that's pretty heavy. Imagine if you had to like down tune it though, I reckon that'd be pretty... Down tune it, play it twice as slow, yeah. that is going to be fucking heavy. I'll scream over it. Done. Done. Alright, heaviest track of all time, sorry <laughs> Neurosis! <laughs> you can do like Neurosis style vocals, Chevy can play the bagpipes at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean realistically I should be, I mean, it's in my blood, I should be able to play bagpipes, but I just don't have the... Uh... The uh, lungs for it. Through bagpipes in blood. Just <laughs> <laughs> so fill the bagpipes with blood. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. That sounds brutal. I, mean, I don't think it probably wouldn't make a sound though, would it? I actually bought a uh, an, uh, an Azeri flute that was descent. Like the bagpipes come from this flute. It's called a dozaler, and yeah. it's like two two reed two reed flutes, and you yeah. play at the same time, and they've got like two sets of holes. And I was like, this is gonna sound amazing. It's the precursor to the bagpipes. It's an yeah. ancient. Several thousand year old instrument. I bought it, it came, and like, Shen was there. I was like, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play this flute for the first time. And I blow into this flute, and it sounds like goats are dying. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so awful. It sounds like so much worse than a bagpipe. I mean, bagpipes yeah, I can sound cool. good. You did not think it was I think cool. It's cool. You were like, what the hell? <laughs> you were like, stop immediately. Don't ever play that again. <laughs> you did not think it was cool. It's grown cool. on me. Uh, I want to hear it now. I need to hear this at some point. I'll bring it in. It's really loud. It's like, ma. It's not like someone on Coronation Street there for a second. <laughs> It just sounds like a goat being kicked in the head. It's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a legit kind of a traumatic instrument. Yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I can't wait to play it. Yeah. Um, well, um, one interesting thing about this album, I, probably the last thing I have to say about it, is I think it con contrasts really nicely with the Botanist album because I think both albums are like less human-focused and more nature slash nature without humans focused or like yeah. how kind of like environmentally focused yeah it's, yeah it's more it's more like expansive and i feel like there's there's like a, a focus on the human impact on nature but more on the nature than the human if that makes yeah, sense yeah i totally get what you're saying okay yeah yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. here very well but i'm glad that you get it yeah no and I think um, one of the last things one of the last things I want to say about this album is I think it sounds fucking massive. I think the production is unbelievable, and Billy Anderson, the producer, done a great job. And I didn't know one of their earlier albums was produced by uh, Jello Biafra from Dead no Kennedys. Way. Yeah, it was the Souls at Zero. Yeah. Just that album. I mean, they were a cross-punk band, so I guess yeah, they, it kind of makes sense. They liked Jello Biafra. Yeah. I like his voice. He's a really good, nice voice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I think that that's a very good way of moving on to Botanist. Yeah. Well, for they they for their Flora Six album released in twenty fourteen. Yeah, so there's another band from California. So we're continuing the uh, Californian contingency, covering 
bands from that region. They're from San Fran. Obviously, uh, one of the uh, USPs of the bands, to coin a business term, is the fact that they don't use guitars, right? So it's a hammered dulcimer. Dulcimer. So I'll say dulcimer. God, I always pronounce some shit wrong. It's an Italian word. It means like, I think, sweet sea. Dolce, no? Dolce. Dolce, no? I didn't know what the instrument looked like. because I, I have one, but an arrangement. Oh, no way, cool. Yeah. Because I knew when um, when this band was first kind of breaking, I was just like, a, the whole thing was, oh, they don't use guitars. And I was like, okay, but I never bothered to research the instrument properly until now. So it's like, oh, let me actually see what it looks like. And it's kind of, it's like a flat string instrument, isn't it? And you just, well, obviously, hence got, the hammer. You've got like little wooden bits. Yeah. yeah. It's like, imagine having a very small piano, and instead of the keys, you've just got like the actual little hammers. Yeah. yeah. But it's really cool, and it's a... It's a great sound. I mean, it, it, do you think it's electronic somehow? I don't think it's electronic. I think he uses a pickup. Okay. It's like a guitar pickup because he runs it through a pickup. You can get pickups, you can just put on stuff because I've seen Iranians use it because the Dolcimer is like, you have it in Egypt, you've got it in the Mediterranean, Turkey and the Middle East. It's like yeah. a really old instrument. I think it came into Europe through that route. Yeah. Because like in different countries, it's got different shapes, different names. So in, in like, for example, in Egypt, it's called a canon. In Iran, yeah. it's called a Santor, but yeah. I think in Europe they just call it the Hammer Dolcimer. I think it might have like a slight different shape as well. Okay, got it. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, it's uh, this album. It's very, it's kind of dreamscapey. Mm. It's very post-black metally, obviously, even though there's no guitars in it. But I think a direct quote from the uh, the main artist who just got listed as Ultra Ball. <laughs> yeah, Ultra Ball. Um, he is saying that you just want to create music that represents the verdant realm. And I mean, and that's obviously evident in all the lyrical content. I mean, and the artwork. And the artwork, and yeah. The yeah. And you know, I think even with the fact that he's foregoing using guitars, maybe that's why you want to use a different instrument, because I think it mm. sounds. It sounds so natural. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, you know, like when I listen to the album, for me, it's quite hard. I found this is one of the hardest albums to kind of dissect track by track. Mm -hmm. For me personally, because I feel like it's got quite, it's quite similar all the way throughout. Mm. I mean, there's certain moments I was picked out as, as of liking at certain tracks, but like I just kind of sat back a bit and kind of just let it wash over me. It's one of those albums you kind of just have to just let it kind of flow through you, yeah. and it just kind of reminded me of just being in a fucking meadow and sun rising and just kind of just just chilling in a field somewhere. Like that's what the album sounds like. It's such a beautiful album. Like I cannot stress if there's one album you listen to today. As, as much as Neurosis are amazing, you're going to find Neurosis at some point anyway, so go and listen to Botanist, because, you know, Floyd is right, they don't use any guitars, but it, do, it doesn't, it actually adds to the music that there isn't guitars, like, you have so much extra space, and the way the Dolcema sounds is not like any other instrument, but it's very similar to, like, that black metal style of tremolo picking, yeah. and you've got, like, the way he uses the layering and the spaces and, like, the different ways of making sound using the instrument are really interesting. To me, it sounds like light. It sounds like light yeah. reflected through leaves and a canopy, and you've got, like, darker moments and lighter moments, and it's all, like, constantly scintillating. And it, it also sounds like water at times, too. It, it sounds like... It's, like, a really rich and sweet sound, it really is like how the name sounds as well. Um, and it's heavy as fuck, it's also kind of dark at times and quite brooding too, and yeah. then it bursts into these moments of like ecstatic light and openness, yeah. Yeah, I think it does, uh, it's, it's very good at kind of um, projecting the songs at different kind of volumes and with the way the music mm -hmm. swells and stuff because you get moments that are quiet and then it kind of swells up. 
And I think it's, and those parts sound a lot more triumphant and the darker, the quieter parts tend to sound a lot more kind of darker and brooded. Mm. Um, and it's funny because I was listening to, um, I didn't realize that they dropped an album last year. As far as I'm aware, they're more like a fully fledged band now because they've got two other members listed. So you've got my man, Tony Thomas, Double T on bass. Don't know if he goes by Double T, but. Daturus on drums. Daturus, isn't there like a band called Daturus? From Australia? Am I imagining that? Possibly. Maybe. I can neither confirm nor deny that. I look it up, I don't know how to spell that. It's D A T U R U S, but I think it's actually just a natural term for like a kind of flower or something, or I'm full of shit, I don't know. But I feel like there is a band called Daturus. I know. I know Arcturus and Nocturnus, but yeah, that's all but it's um well, there is a band called the Tourists, but they don't look particularly big. They're from Australia. Uh Kentucky. Damn. Ah, I was off not. by a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was a difference. That's not to say there isn't an Australian band, it might just be they're defunct and they don't have. If I guess knew an Australian person who liked them and I just assumed they were Australian. The Tourists. <laughs> the Tourists. Do you like the Tourists? But uh, I listened to that later album, and I think it's more like fully fledged, like it sounds more like a band, whereas this sounds more like something not akin to, kind of go back to what you were saying, it doesn't sound like necessarily it's created by someone, mm. it doesn't sound human, whereas like the latest stuff is more like a project, but um, so like I think this is, uh, yeah, and I think it's super cool, I've been researching all the uh, song titles and all the different flowers, I think the most interesting one is, I'll let you pronounce it because you've done it far better than I did earlier. I know exactly the song you're going to say. Um, it is called Cinnamoon. No, wait. Cin <laughs> Shut your holes. It's called Cinnamoon. You were like, Trudy. It's a different sense, okay? It's a Parthenozylum. That's what it's called. Parthenozylum. Yeah, and it's uh, when I was doing my extensive research on Wikipedia, <laughs> um, it was I found out that it these uh, it's an evergreen tree native to South and East Asia, and it's harvested for saffron, which is an element of MDMA. It is indeed. It is uh, a precursor to the pesticide synergist piperonol butoxide, the flavorant and fragrance. Piperonal. Piperonal. Yeah. But the cool thing about the lyrics, which we both picked up on, is that the last sort of uh, quatrain in yeah. the first line begins with the initials MDMA. MDMA. And he's, yeah. also, he's also actually like bracketed the M, the D, the M, and the A. And then he's also bracketed the words. So he's got M bracketed myriad bracketed Silesian flowers fall upon the corpses of the dead deep entalo... Intactogenic saffron ecstasy, marking heightened euphoria of their passing to never world, acquittal of human blight. Yeah. Those are the lyrics. Those aren't easy to say. I wasn't criticizing you. Oh, you weren't criticizing. <laughs> I don't think anything on the side. Yeah, that's like, yeah, you did way better than I There's some like taxonomists at home just like losing their shit. Everything's being mispronounced. They're going to email us right now. Yeah, there's some amazing words on this album. Like, it's just, the lyrics are really compact. Like, then there aren't many lyrics. They're kind of more like haikus or like very short. They kind of remind me of like, 
of like Japanese poetry at times. Yeah, yeah, and I feel that. Really poetic. Even the songs feel like literally structured around like the ways these flowers are and behave. Like the, some of the flowers, I'm sure you really picked up on it too. Like when I was reading about the flowers and I read the lyrics, the lyrics were literally mentioning things that these flowers specifically do. Yeah, and yeah. Like specific characteristics of the flowers, but in like a very flowery, very metaphorical way. And then other times in a very literal way. I think the least scientific song on the album was Wisteria. Yeah, I mean, it's the only one I knew <laughs> like, <laughs> before research, and I was like, Wisteria, I know what that is. I know what it is. Yeah, yeah it's really cool actually, because Wisteria is like quite a feminine plant, and he talks about Wisteria being strong and climbing and high and like, like never falling down and able to climb. Yeah. And I was reading about the history of Wisteria, and the, the taxonomist that named it. He, he said he named it after some like scientist guy, but he actually had a friend who was called Wister, and the scientist had like another random name. On Wikipedia they were like, his good friend, Wister. Yeah, I got here that it was named after some anatomist called Casper Wister. Yeah, but like there was like a businessman who was called Wister, or maybe he was also an anatomist, but it said they were really close friends, which oh. in history speak means they were gay for each other. Oh, so I'm okay. assuming that it might be named after his partner. Ah, gotcha. But I don't know yeah. if I'm reading too much into it, but generally if they're really good friends yeah. and they're naming plants after each other, yeah. then... It's funny because I do think there is a little bit of allegory in some of the songs, particularly yeah. uh, Pteridophyte. Because mm -hmm. that is about, it's a, what's known as a cryptogram, is in the sense that it's a plant that doesn't produce flowers or seeds, but spores instead. It, no, which... it hides the way that it produces. Oh, okay. Because That's... like, like ferns, because what they do is like, they have all their seeds curled up, and then when they actually release the seeds, they just go... Yeah. And then like, the seeds are scattered. Yeah. Maybe it is spores, but yeah, sorry, yeah. I don't know if I'm... No, no, I mean, I'm no expert, so I can't... Me too. <laughs> It's, um, but it's cool because in the lyrics, um, he's uh, making a reference to Antherida and Archegonia, which are the uh, the female and male uh, genitals of the plants. Yeah! And the fact that it's how they're genderless. Yeah, exactly. I thought it could be some social commentary for kind of how that is becoming a more prominent issue in society. I don't know if it was intentional, because there was definitely a lot of... Um, mention of like the reproductive elements of the plants like there yeah. were like not only in that song in a lot of songs of like how the actual because some plants are hermaphroditic so there was one plant that was and he was like talking about it in like a godly way i really liked that yeah uh, i really like how how like accepting and how like venerated these elements of the plants were because i feel like some people some people like i think some of the, one of the reasons Flowers are weird, right? Flowers are literally like flower dicks and vaginas. Yeah. And we give people flower dicks and vaginas to be like, I love you, here's a flower dick vagina. And this is what <laughs> no, we do. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's do you true. think there's an alternative world where plants are living and they give <laughs> other plants penises and disembodied <laughs> genitalia? <What are> you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going like, like, what are you going with it? This is what you going to say. Tied, tied down. Well, in a way, we kind of, we're like, so there's this theory that humans evolved, if Iggy was here, he'd say it way better than I do, but like humans kind of evolved in tandem with fungi, because they kind of like, we ate fungi, helped us be intelligent, I'm totally fucking this up, but we, when we die, we feed all that shit. We're like great fertilizer, basically. Yeah. Like we poop, that's good fertilizer. We spread seeds around in our poop, great fertilizer. And then yeah. we die and like we make mushrooms. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like there's we give each other flowers and plants, but the flower, ultimately they win because yeah. um, they're going to be feeding off our corpses in about fifty to sixty. Oh years yeah, now. they're going to be around much longer than us. I mean, we've got probably what a thousand years at best. That's probably optimistic. I think we've got like fifty at most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. It reminded me of a fact. I just want to preface this with: I do not grow cannabis plants. Um, you but, do not. Um, it's um, I found that fact recently, which I thought was quite cool. Where um, obviously for uh, a cannabis plant to bud, it has to be uh, female. But mm. if it experiences any trauma, it reverts to a male. Oh, that's, that's quite common in certain... So if you, for a wisteria plant, if you want a wisteria to grow quicker, especially if it's like a Chinese wisteria, because they, they take 20 years to bloom, you yeah. have to traumatise the plant. Yeah. You've got to like stress the plant for it to bloom quicker. That's mad. I didn't, like, I that's learned so much about plants that bloom, about yeah. this album, so it was really cool to actually do that. And yeah, like, you know, it goes back to what we were saying about, like, um, like the gender and sex identity of plants is really fascinating. Yeah. And it's just, it just shows, you know, I mean, like, um, like, I think when you grow up in a city, it's not something that is really that prevalent in your mind. Like, the whole thing about the nature of plants and stuff, because we just, we don't really experience it as much. And if we do, it's at somewhere like a garden center or in a garden where they've been, you know, like, fucking, where they're just, you know what's not as natural as, as it is finding it in the wild. And sometimes it's actually just invasive plants as well, which are like yeah. screwing over native plants and making them go extinct and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it's funny because you were talking about like um, the lyrics and the vocals and I actually think they're deliberately muted on this album. I was going to say the same thing. Because it's yeah. like, it's almost like, it's, that's not what's important. Like they're kind of blending into the back of everything else that's going on. And you I think, barely notice them. No, yeah, like if you, yeah, like if you, like you wouldn't hear them unless you were trying to pay attention to the album. Even then, like, I was listening to the album and then I just, the lyrics, like, I think for, like, the first two songs I can kind of hear the vocals at times, and then I just stop hearing the vocals. Like, I honestly, when I was reading the lyrics, I was like, there's this much lyrics? Yeah. Even though there's so few, I was really surprised that there was actually so much. Because it feels so, but I think that's definitely intentional, because I was reading about, like, the concept of the band. Um, like the guy, the botanist, who is like the the guy who does the vocals and the drums and the dolcema, he um, let me let me find it. Oh no, this phone. So according to Otrebor, the botanist when botanist gets recorded, he channels an entity within himself named the botanist, a character whose persp whose perspective dictates the content of the music and lyrics. The botanist holds a romantic worldview in which plants reclaim the earth after humanity has killed itself and he is trying his damnness to bring about the end of humanity because humanity is destroying the natural world and the natural world must prevail. Yeah. A little bit eco-fash, but <laughs> he, he's not actually eco-fash, he's channeling this character who's like in another realm, so he's not actually like, kill everybody, which I think is a little bit different. Just going to clarify that. But I think that's really interesting how he has the um, this like character that he assumes it's kind of portly. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just a big fan of conceptual shit, and when mm. when there's a bit more uh, to a band, then you know you look at like listed band members, just some dudes called Dave. <laughs> and a lot of one man projects are like that Matt as well. Just like Dave, everything. <laughs> uh, but like you know, it's like you know, I like the fact that there's an element of theatre that's went into yeah. um, these sort of projects because I think it just adds to the whole mystique of it, and I'm all for it. I mean, I've followed. I mean, there's one thing about botanists, which and there's a lot of artists that are like this, and I'm not saying it's off-putting, but 
I don't have time to listen to a lot of their work, especially when they're releasing two to three albums a year. Mm-hmm. Like bands that are overly prolific, sometimes it's easy to just be like, I don't have, I can't deal with this because it's, it's too like much content. It's too high maintenance a band. Yeah, it's yeah. like the body. I mean, like every time I seem to yeah. look online, the body have got two new albums. <laughs> I'm just like, Jesus, I just can't keep up. But um, but no, like I've always been a fan of this project and um, yeah, I just think it's just really, uh, I just like shit that's unique and different. And I think, you know, that's the sort of stuff when you listen to metal for a while, that's the sort of thing I t- tend to crave. But not, not. I don't like it because it's different. Just because it's different, like it still has to be good. It's good, different. Yeah, yeah. Like the music still has to be. It's like Zionardo, for example. Like yeah. you know, like if they, like if they were experimenting with as many different genres as they do, and it sounded shit, I'd be like, well, I don't like this because it sounds shit. Mm. But it doesn't sound shit. It sounds good. So you know, and that's what I like. That combination of good music and something unique and unexplored. And it's executed really well. And like yeah. he obviously has done his research. All the naming, like the cover is also beautiful. It's like an old school drawing as well. Yeah. And like for our like theories of human evolution and just genet- like how genes work come from studying plants. Like the yeah. first time a dude realized that, that like you can pass on characteristics was Linnaeus who was like a monk. I think in Austria or something in like the 1500s. I'm probably getting this wrong. It's, I, I studied this at like GCSE at school. So it's like a million years ago. But I mean, he he had like peas and shit in, in the garden of the cemetery, the monastery. And he was like, oh, if I put these together, the peas are bigger and the tomatoes are smaller. And like, he just found out all this stuff. And that's how eventually Darwin was like, oh, these salmon birds are a bit weird and these flowers are a bit different. Maybe humans are like that too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... It's, it's, I think you could learn a lot from the study of sort of plants and how they've evolved and changed over the years and how they adapt mm. to certain environments and stuff. Yeah. Like you look at, say, something like bindweed, for example, and how it curls around. I always love looking at pictures of bindweed and how it interacts and like the cracks of walls and stuff. And it just, like the wisteria, it's quite an invasive plant, so it just kind of gets everywhere and, and chokes the life of anything it can. Yeah, plants are badass. I mean, there's like, there's a tree in, um, Florida that will kill you in like five different ways like the bark is poisonous the leaves are poisonous the sap is poisonous and if you sit too near it if you just sit underneath it for a few hours it'll just kill you you will just die <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> it's, it's like a really cool no one no one actually knows evolutionarily why this tree is so poisonous yeah. there's no like known evolutionary reason as to why a tree needs to defend itself so much yeah yeah you see, that just reminds me of that movie, The Happening. Oh, like, yes! This, this, album is just, this album is like the antithesis to that album, because this is all very like so positive sick. and quite happy, but The Happening, the plot, is that the plants are taking their revenge on humanity and releasing <laughs> this, these pheromones and these spores that are forcing people to kill themselves. But it's got Mark Wahlberg it's in it, so good. and it's a horror film, and Mark Wahlberg is delivers one of the best comedy performances <laughs> I've ever seen, with his thick uh, Boston accent. There literally is a parasite that makes humans do that. The the toxoplasmosis. Because basically, um, it's this parasite that only can... Oh god, I've forgotten how the life cycle works. However, basically, it lives, I think, in mouse poo. Or cat poo. It's cats. Cats cats eat the mice. Ah, yeah, yeah, So basically, mice get the, the parasite and it makes mice behave, take more risks. So when mice take more risks, it's in cat poo, it's in cat poo. When mice take more risks, they're more likely to be eaten by the cat. So basically, they get eaten by the cat, the parasite reproduces in the cat's stomach and is passed out through the cat poo. 
and humans can get it from cats. And they've found that 90% of people who ride motorbikes have toxic toxoplasmosis. <laughs> it literally, yeah, it's, it's like, amazing. It's, it's, it's actually amazing. in a lot of the human population. But basically, the mice, when they when they smell a cat, the way the toxoplasmosis affects their brain is that in their brain, the cat smells good to the mouse. Yeah. And normally mice are scared of the smell of cats. And this yeah. is something that's like programmed from birth. They know to be scared of that smell. Yeah. So toxoplasmosis like literally makes mice just be like, oh my god, I've got a cat! I'm horny for this fucking cat. Okay, I've missed something. Why do people on bikes? So basically, if you have a cat, if you hang around with cats, the toxoplasmosis can be carried over to you. It can actually infect humans as well. Yeah. And if you have toxoplasmosis in your brain, you're more likely to gamble, to cheat, to take risks, to do drugs, to ride oh, motorbikes. Okay, so people okay, who okay. ride, like who do dangerous things, jet, like a lot of the time, not everyone, often has toxoplasmosis as well. God, yeah. 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 I've got a far less um, um, cat shit. No, sorry, it's a fox shit fact. <laughs> cats can get cat AIDS from fox shit. I knew they could get AIDS, but I didn't know from fox shit. I think it was particularly cat AIDS, yeah. Damn. Yeah, so that's why I'm, I don't know if that was just some propaganda released by all these Tories wanting to kill foxes. Maybe it was Possibly, actually. Possibly, yeah. you know, because, yeah. There's a fox that comes and shits by my door all the time. Yeah, I mean. Fun but, fact. <laughs> they make the most horrific noises. Someone needs to fucking sample the noises Fox makes. I'm Foxes sure make some and put a black metal album. Furry black metal band. <laughs> yeah, Fox and it. Fox Furzum. 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 So someone should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But you know, I just want to quickly say, um, I think that um, humanity on on the topic of the the happening, which is a great film. It's fantastic. It's, it's, it's really <laughs> amusing to watch. Yeah. But I do think we have been kind of bastardizing nature for a very no long doubt. time. You know, synthesizing yeah. plants to make you know shitty versions of medication, and even someone like Monsanto taking charge of all the fucking seeds and wanting to you know GMO all that sort of stuff. And I feel like you know. Eventually, I do think it's going to come back to bite us in the ass somehow. So honest. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I really enjoyed this album, and yeah, like I said, it's more of an experience than an album per se, which is why I don't have much to say about the music itself. Because I feel like throughout the album, it's it is very uh, similar. My favorite track probably is the I'm going to give it a shot, the Cinema Moment. Had the knock silent. <laughs> See, it's not fair when you're laughing already. <laughs> but it's um. <laughs> you went in so confident that you like stacked it off. It's, it's, like I, it's like when I tried to say um, what was the one where I completely botched. Um, masturbating. No, that masturbating. was just masturbating. That was, that was horrific. It was a little Caligula where I gave up halfway through. Oh, Caligula. Yeah. That was that was funny. But, um, but I like this track because I feel like this is the one that's got a lot more, it's got a good example of the different dynamics of the album because it's uh, the uh, the tree itself in question is critically endangered. It is indeed. It's been harvested at a high rate. And um, I think there's a part in the track um, that's just been laid very well and it's almost like, um, I don't know if it is a horn, but it sounds like a horn. Mm. One of the parts that's got a very kind of like ominous, doomy feel to it, but there's a good juxtaposition of the more dreamlike music that's featured on the rest of the album. And I feel like this track is probably the one that has the biggest message or the biggest like pro-environmentalism message on the album. There's a, there's another endangered tree as well um, that's native to only Table Mountain in South Africa on the Cape. Um, there's a few branches of it that grow nearby, but they think those have been planted. They can't, they're like trying really hard to, to save it. Let me find it. It's called like Silverleaf. 
and the actual name of the tree is the Leucodendron Argentium. So yeah, that's that's another. And they, I, I like that he's going into all these endangered things and the mangroves as well. Yeah. And um, those are like really important for climate change because actually stop like mass like flooding and they keep they keep like um, soils together and they're they're actually like really good for washing like cleaning water and yeah. like air around them. They're really important flood barriers in places like um, India. And unfortunately, they're being cut down, which is like contributing to flooding. So, again, there's those guys. But so it just shows how it's just such a, such a chain reaction of events, really, that can lead to such devastation. Because you know, like for millions of years pre-humans, you know, like certain plant types, insects, bees were reacting or interacting with plant life and um, and you know and prospering. Mm. And yet we come along and just kind of just fucking you know. We fucked it. Yeah. We've got to unfuck it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to pump those numbers. Make those plants happy again. <laughs> yeah. Make them make the bees and the birds and the plants and everything. Do you think good. anybody that has hay fever was cruel to plants in a previous life? Oh my god. Maybe. But it is getting worse because of pollution. Pollution makes hay fever worse. Oh does it? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why it's worse in London. Yeah. Because the, the pollution like makes it the pollen makes trees produce more pollen because it makes the trees think Also, must be trying to. to fight to, yeah, got it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think also like because of the added heat, it makes them produce it earlier as well because the trees think it's spring sooner in London. And yeah. you've got like, you've got like shit tons of different kinds of pollen. There's like fields nearby. So you've got the pollen from like Surrey, the pollen in London, and then you've got like, yeah, there's just a horrible city to have hay fever in. There's a lot more um, breathing diseases in London because of it. Yeah, I mean, probably exacerbated by the London Underground as well. I mean, that's just a, oh, yeah. a fucking hive for oh my God. bacteria. And I'm, I'm honestly, like, after COVID, I'm still going to wear a mask on the Underground. Um, I See, I would always wear a mask on the Underground because I just think it's just totally just mm. fucking, you can smell it in the air. Like, it's just... I honestly wanted to. Yeah. But, and, like, I was kind of glad that COVID has made wearing masks more okay. Um, because I, w I was kind of embarrassed to wear a mask before, but now I'm like, fuck it, I'm wearing a mask forever. And fuck it, I'm going to call it TFL here because, like, and I'm not blaming the workers, but, like, it yeah. is not fucking cleaned. It's the underground is not being cleaned. There's all these signs saying yeah. there's antiviral wiping going on. We clean it every and day. I'm not blaming the staff because they've cut the fucking staff, which is why exactly. they don't have enough people to clean it. So it's not the staff's fault, but the fucking TFL, it is not fucking clean. So don't stop trying to pretend that your buses and your trains have been having fucking daily antiviral wipes. Because every time I put my hand on the banister, guess what? It's still fucking filthy with dirt. I saw a picture the other day. There's a Facebook group called Shit London. And, um, I don't know if you guys have ever been on it. It's amazing. There was a picture. There was a guy on a bus. And there was a dude like sitting on the back seat. And you've got two seats, two sets of two seats facing each other. And like we've got these things in London where they've got like a, like a bib on the seat to be like, don't sit here, social distancing. So the guy's sitting on the back seat and he's stretched out his legs. And he's got no shoes on and what? no socks on. What? And he's just put his like cheesy looking feet oh, on these God. seats in like the middle of a rush hour bus. I'm starting to sound like a Nurgle Instagram post. <laughs> these are like not even like Nurgle manicured feet. They're like fucking gnarly looking Allow it. yellowy things that you can just tell are like. Allow that shit. Oh, fucking London. No, that's grim. Yeah. That's fucking grim. Yeah, I mean, it will give voices something to write about for the next album, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's everything I want to say about the botanists. I suggest maybe we should move on to the third and final yes. release. Slain Hell by Steelbearing Hand. So uh, this is a new discovery for me. So this is a relatively new band from Dallas, Texas. 
Do you do that? Oh, damn, sorry, my throat's just closed up. <laughs> the it sounded like I was revenge. getting emotional. You're very good. I have been digging this album for a while now since it was released maybe a week or two ago. I can't remember, time is just doesn't this exist anymore. March 26th? Potentially, yeah, it might be March. I think it's what um, So I'm quite interested to hear what your take on this album is. I went in with very low expectations because they had a goofy name. Yeah. Um, I like the name. And I thought the album art was really cool. And I was really pleasantly surprised. They're really good. They were like really rock and roll. It's not something I would normally listen to, for yeah. sure. Um, but I enjoyed it. There was like kind of a kind of like a happy bolt thrower vibe. Yeah. It was like I haven't listened to Fresh in a million years. Like it's not really been something I listened to since I was a teenager. Um, and this was just really fun. It was like really, really way faster than what I'm used to listening to. <laughs> it was like, just like so, I had so much energy. These guys must be like really young. I tried to Google them, couldn't find any names. I couldn't find any lyrics. Yeah. Um, but I am really impressed with the album. I found the first thing I read was like an angry metal guy review and he came down on the album quite hard. Yeah. He only gave him a 2.5. He's quite, um, like historically quite strict though, isn't He's he? very yeah. critical. He, his yeah. critique was that the album was really good for the first two songs and it was too long and then they kind of lost momentum. Yeah. And I think he wasn't right. Yeah. I think the album's really good. I don't think that that was an issue of the album at all. Yeah. See, I think probably where that comes from is the fact that they're closing it with a 12-minute song. Mm. And I think when you've got five other tracks or... Let me just make sure it is five. One, two, three, four, six. five. So six tracks in total, but the yeah. sixth track is 12 minutes long. I think when all the other tracks are about six minutes, I think it's always a bit of a curveball that kind of... Yeah, it gets longer and longer. Yeah, because the because um, I think you know typically speaking, you know, someone listening to this subgenre might not necessarily be a sleep fan or a, or used to necessarily a twelve minute long track. Mm -hmm. um, but like what I like about this album is I think it does a very very good job of blending a lot of the extreme metal subgenres together. So you've got almost a perfect blend of thrash, death, black. Even the more like doom death sounds kind of popularized by like the early Swedish bands. Mm. And even like there's a lot of riffs that have a it's a style that's kind of been popularized by Goat Whore a lot. I don't know if you've listened to much Goat Whore, but they've got that real kind of like it's like trad infused thrash almost. Okay. So it's got that, that rock and roll kind of, you know, like southern sound to it. Um, and they do a great job of just blending all that together in this melon pot and I think a lot of times that can maybe spin a few people out and be like, oh, there's too much, they're trying to do too much, but I personally love it. I think they've done a great blend of different styles and I think each track kind of leans towards uh, each subgenre more than the others. So for example, you've got the tracks uh, Tomb Spawn and Lichgate, which are very death metal heavy. There's some elements of thrash, but it's primarily quite death metal orientated. Mm. And what's interesting to me is they use um, the lower registers so of the deeper growls for the death metal tracks but tend to revert back to the uh, the higher, more shrill, black metal, even thrashy at time vocals for some of the more frenetic, higher energy sort of thrash tracks. It was a very frantic, chaotic album, yeah. for sure. Like, it's like the cover, the cover is like really, there's like so much going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that though, it reminds me of like early Bolt Thrower, but like cartoony. Um, and there's like a little bit of sword and sorcery-esque kind of stuff going on, like the actual logo has a hand that's made of steel, holding steel. So it's a steel-bearing hand, steel-bearing hand logo, which I, I think it's like, it's very tongue-in-cheek. I think this is going to be a really, I mean, they better be fucking good live, because this, to me, feels like it's being marketed as a live band. To me, this feels like this is a band that's going to support Garabon, go on a world tour, yeah. and fucking slay it. 
Yeah, the, the, these guys in Goat Hall would go hand in hand. I don't want to compare them to Goat Hall too much, but it is who what immediately comes to mind when I listen to it. But they've definitely carved out their own niche. Um, and one thing I want to say is the production on this album is far better than their first album. Yeah. So they've definitely markedly... It's been more four been, years since the... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. 2015 since the first one, the self-titled one. And it just sounds so much crisper. It's, you can, I always like albums that sound like it's uh, the instruments mesh well together, but you yeah. can still pick out yeah. the different instruments. Like You can still pick out the bass and the rhythm section here and there. And another thing I want to say about this album is the fucking solos are blistering. They have really good guitar work on this. Yeah, like yeah. it's fucking manic. Like there's like I've, there's elements of like there's neoclassical elements. There's almost like some Kerry King like whammy sh like fucking mm. demonic shit and just loads of like this one of the tracks I'll find out which one it was has a dual solo. Oh, I know the one you mean. I think that's my favourite track. Is it? Um, did I write it down? Is it's, it it's the Latin one, Per Tenebras Ad Lucem. Oh, does that mean Wait. is it like light and Tenebras yeah. is like dark? Through light? darkness into light, yeah. So you're pretty much on the ball that one. Yeah. But yeah, so um, it had that classic kind of like trad infused thrashiness at the beginning, mm -hmm. very energetic, fast paced, and then there was like a really fucking about three minutes in, it had a really good like groovy riff as well, and it had this weird thing where it kept like uh, escalating in pitch. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, and, it was yeah. Also, went, and then and when it got to like the fever pitch, it just erupted into a solo, and it was just like, and then it was just fucking like it's really like over the top and frenetic. But it's like when a band can write songs this well, that's when it works. Right. It's when it's done as a gimmick and done as a you know like it's I'm not even gonna nay I can't even, no, no band that does it shit like that comes to mind at the moment. But I've heard plenty of like homogenous death metal thrash metal. I'm just like oh this is just a poor imitation of that, but like this is very clearly like well written and put together. I feel like I just really want to see them play live. If they're anything like Go Hard, they'd be fucking sick live. Because yeah. that band is renowned as being a live band and they are a tremendous <laughs> live. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the way that you looked at me, like, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> just before I could see, see the despair in your eyes. You should isolate that sound, it could be the uh, one of the intros on the new bottom sound. Yeah. It could be like a new stair sound. <laughs> yeah, like, these guys just sound really fun. Um, I really hope they're West Bandex. I don't know why. I just want this West Spandex and have like big Conan style belts. It, it, it sounds like it sounds like leather, doesn't it? Sounds it like sounds... leather and studs and. Um... Yeah, it sounds really eighties. What are you gonna say? You know, we met the singer, right? Who? Of this band. Still very her. Yeah, we He's, met. Them. He plays guitar. Wyatt's the guitarist from Blood of the Sun that supported Lucifer. We met these guys. Yeah, we met the singer Wyatt because I was talking to him. Uh, oh my god! No way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you were there as well for a bit, but I, don't, I think I might have spoken really to him. Nice. Yeah, he was like, uh, he's Wait, like long blonde, blonde hair. I don't know if you've got him on Facebook, he wears glasses, but he's the singer and lead guitarist. Um, and I was, it was really funny because he was playing with Blood of the Sun. And I was like, you know, I was just talking to them because they're, they're all from America. And, yeah, uh, they're all really funny guys. They're all really funny guys. And like Hank from St. Vitus plays drums in Blood of the Sun. Mm. And I'd actually met Hank before, but I didn't even realize he was the drummer of St. Vitus. Mm. And I was like, oh, hey, man, <laughs> how you doing? And he was like, oh, hey, brother. You know, it was really funny. It was and like the I only first realized show after we him. ever played. Yeah, yeah. We were like, it was a massive show. We were shitting was... bricks. It was like Lucifer. No, no but it was so funny because I was talking to Wyatt and I was yeah. like, oh, did you play another band? He's like, yeah, I'm in this other metal band, no one gives a shit. It's called Steel Bearing Hand, we fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> he was 
like, no one cares about my band. And I was like, I'll check them out, dude. And it was oh, so funny. Yeah. yeah, and then when Floyd was like, oh, check out Still Bearing Hand, I was like, oh, we got a new album, cool. And I didn't realize that Wyatt's the guitar, he does all the lead guitar and all the vocals. I'm so glad. He's a really nice I'm dude. I'm so glad you remember this stuff. Yeah. Because I don't even remember anything. Whenever I, we play a show, I, I, I'm certain I have face blindness. <laughs> yeah, I'm Honestly, I have face blindness, I have name blindness, but I don't even remember anything that happens at a show. I'm expecting it to our bassist will turn up at a venue and be like, I played a show here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Wyatt was a really, yeah. really friendly, really nice dude. I, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't really have people on Facebook because I'm like, you know, whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. People can have me. I don't add them either, but like, somehow they find me. But I remember, yeah. like, the only thing I remember about Father the Sun is I was in my dressing room getting ready and I could hear them talking next door and they were having an argument about Flat Earth because one of the nice. guys was a Flat Earth there was like 10 people in the band, yeah. I don't know which one it was yeah. but he, they, he was like, no man, when you get older you'll believe in God and <laughs> I was like, dude, like, they had pictures of it from space and it was really a strange conversation to be hearing I saw a proper cockney looking guy the other day wearing a Flat Earth crew shirt Nice and it was, uh, <laughs> was it shipped worldwide? But the weird thing was, it had a picture of a globe as the design of the shirt. So I don't know if that was tongue in cheek or I don't know what was going on. It might have been a joke shirt, I don't know. But I just don't know anymore. But I don't know. I just don't know. I mean that's one conspiracy theory I can't get behind, I'm afraid. But it's uh, I can get around it but not behind it. <laughs> it's funny actually, one of the one of the is since deleted, but there was one quote made by a, a someone who is uh uh, high up in the Flat Earth Society committee. I know the one you're going to say. They <laughs> said like, oh, there was a, they were bragging about the numbers, and so we've now expanded to over two hundred thousand Flat Earthers around the globe. How has it got globes on the mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah, just. But I actually managed to get a list of the personnel in this back I here. I couldn't so find got... the personnel. Uh, so I just took it from Metal Archives. It was not. A... I well, it wasn't on the album, was. but it's on the oh, general lineup. Oh my god! So you got Chris Bonham oh. on bass. Yeah. And I'm not going to make a bone the joke because he's probably heard it all before. <laughs> um, Alex Johnson, who's doing rhythm guitar, and as Shem mentioned, Wyatt Burton is the uh, lead guitarist and vocalist, and uh, Anthony Vallejo on drums. Huh. But yeah, great job to all the guys because I am I was impressed with yeah, nice one, every guys. aspect really of the instrumentation cool. on this album. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, damn, it's really good. I was really surprised. I'm glad. I'm really glad you guys made me listen to it because otherwise I wouldn't have picked up this picked up this album based on my usual listening habits. So I'm kind of glad I discovered these guys. It, it's one of those ones where, like, um, Texas is a scene that I think is kind of dominated by Pantera. You mentioned a Texas. You say to someone name a metal band from Texas, they'll say Pantera. But there's like a, and obviously it's such a massive state as well. So it seems strange that there's not too many like super super well-known bands from there so you got power trip who got big unfortunately riley gale died um the other year which was tragic um and uh obviously devourment from texas as well oh, the nice. slam bands but it's uh but yeah every there's a lot of texas bands i've heard and bands from that sort of southern region so like a lot of the nola bands as well they kind of do have that like that southern swing and so in the music mm -hmm. i think just really kind of sets them apart from the rest of like the metal scene, like you just need to look at all the Nola bands, whether it be, you know, I could go whore from there and uh, Crowbar and I Hate God, so. Yeah, historically that part of America has been like musically very rich in like blues and in terms yeah. of that kind of history, so it makes sense, it's really cool. I don't really know much about, I'm more of like a California, San Francisco kind of vibe. Yeah. I don't really, um, 
I've not really retained. I used to like Crowbar, and I kind of just stopped liking them for a while. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I just Crowbar. I still think to this day have got some of the heaviest sounding guitars in any album I've ever heard. Like They're really heavy. Yeah. It's. Um, I love Kirk as well. He seems like a really he's nice really guy. He's really sweet. He's yeah. just so nice. He's really small and yeah. he's just really wholesome. Well, <laughs> right, he's. Yeah. We were like dancing together and he, he just loves Accept and he it was like he was just standing and fist pumping yeah. and like jumping up and down like a happy person. It was really cute. Like usually people are just like you know like mm, yeah. doing this. I didn't find myself headbanging since I'm not even realizing yeah. I don't headbang. And I was just sitting at my computer and I was just like, wait, where's Me my too. head moving? Yeah. yeah, you had that too. Huh? Yeah, there's some super groovy, like proper moshable riffs on this album. There's mm. some moments that are just like super. They're so easy to get into if you're into like you know extreme metal. Like I think it's like a it's a perfect like introduction to the an amalgamation of all the different subgenres. Like I was saying yeah. earlier. For real, yeah. There's like a death metal song and the last song's a doom metal song. I really like that. Yeah, it even had like a, even a bit of a boat thrower vibe. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it had some mid pace riffs as yeah. well. And um, but yeah, so and I think it was quite ambitious for them to you know kind of close it with a twelve minute track because like I was saying, typically fans of this particular subgenre, like especially of thrash, are not used to like slower pace, longer songs. So mm. I think um, they definitely pushed the boat out in terms of uh, their experimentation with song lengths and kind of genre splicing. I thought they they were they put possibly put lots of thought into how they structured the album too because the first two songs are three minutes long and then it's like five then it's six and then it's like twelve yeah so they've like done it in kind of time order so I guess if you have like a short attention span you can just get it all out of the way and then you can just put it down <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the Doom fans will like stay till the end I guess yeah no that's probably that's an interesting point because I think. Um... That's something that I feel like potentially a lot of newer bands maybe don't take into consideration. You know, how an album itself is structured. It's so important. I think it's super, super important because mm. I think, you know, you've got to have, you know, whether it be a, a strong opener and it can't, you know, taper off too much in the middle because my personal opinion is that so many albums have just become so shit in the middle. They have a strong end, a strong beginning and a strong end. And they're like sad in the middle. Yeah, yeah, and it's just filler in the middle. I'm just like, oh, and I'll just listen to it. And it's, it's funny because sometimes I'll even skip a track if it doesn't catch me in the first couple of minutes. So I'm just going to presume that it's not that good. So mm. I think I'm kind of maybe programmed to think that most albums tend to drop off in the middle. And then sometimes I'll go back and revisit an album and realize there's a really good track placed nearer the middle of the album that I just didn't give much time to. Because, like I said, I'm programmed to think that that's when an album kind of drops off before it kind of climaxes again. For sure. I think... Like it depends on the kind of band you are, and I think like you know if a band is listening, it's definitely something. If you haven't before, it's something really important to consider. Like some bands think of it like a, like you're constructing a set. Again, a set is like I think I feel like every band puts loads of thought into a set because yeah. you have that audience and you can see them in front of you, and you want to make sure that they're happy because they're right there and you get immediate feedback. Yeah. Whereas with an album, I think sometimes people don't necessarily put as much thought into it. Partly because a lot of people listen to albums on the shuffle or it comes on the playlist, but even then you still need to think about these things um, yeah. because that can that can kind of affect how people even listen to your album depending on where that playlist song yeah. your like title song is gonna go. But maybe that's why newer bands don't have that kind of predisposition to create an album that way because they might have ingested music in a newer era where yeah. you don't listen to an album all the way through. I like that. 
Yeah. I don't listen to an album all the way through 99% of the time. I would much rather like go on Spotify and have like a really big playlist so that my ADHD is satisfied and I yeah. don't have to worry about getting bored halfway through an album, God forbid. Um, but yeah, like I, I still think it's really important and it, it can also inform how you construct a set as well. Yeah, it's, um, I feel like Ackerfeld kind of trolls people with his sets sometimes. Yeah. So I feel like it's, I, I do always like how he is totally playing on the fact that there's a, a large contingent of Opeth fans, maybe not a large, but a sizable contingent of Opeth fans who, um, you know, kind of are, are bitter at the fact that they've kind of delved into the more sort of like old school proggy territory and he's not death growling anymore and any of the new stuff. Mm. And the fact that he would like predominantly make sure that the set list is mainly that material <laughs> and like he seems so he's actually such a funny and humorous guy. And, I love his banter. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a great talking voice too. Oh yeah, yeah, it's really like he'd be Sweet. great doing an audiobook. He would! Yeah, he yeah, should do like a 70s style audiobook where he's like doing like 70s thriller novels or something. What I would love to hear him do is audio commentary for the Lords of Chaos film. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be sick. I would really like that a lot. Yeah, that would be amazing. I would really like I, that. Have you guys seen the film? I mean, no, I, I need it. to watch it. I watched 20 minutes and I had to put it down yeah, it's because it's tough. Tough. so hard. Really? Yeah. It's honestly embarrassing to watch. Not, not the act like. Okay, like the thing is, I have very a lot of derision for like black metal bands of that era. Like I, I just don't think it's cool. I think it's really stupid and goofy, and I really like that the film is highlighting that because they just they just come across as cringe teenagers, which yeah. is what they were. And yeah, it's pretty accurate, but well, like I just can't yeah. watch it. Sorry. Huh. But no, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Sorry to interrupt, but it's the truth. Like they were just like kids with fuck all else to do. But like, yeah. but the way the film frames it is um, speaking about this with a friend earlier. But not earlier today, but earlier in the week, was um, that's irrelevant. <laughs> but it's um, we're talking about how like the film frames the fact that it's the music that turns people into Evil. these cringy fucking edge lords. Oh, is it? Yeah, and it makes it out like you know it's the scene that's like that. When I feel like the, the black metal scene has kind of evolved and left a lot of the second wave goofiness behind. Yeah, it's like that scene where they're like in a KFC or something, and then like one of them's like, is that a, is that a like, a motorhead patch? What, oh, Scorpions! Scorpions! Yeah, yeah it's Vard walks oh. in with a Scorpions patch, and uh, his response was, I don't fucking like the Scorpions, so... And he's all like, ooh, he's all embarrassed. I mean, I, I think Vard's stupid anyway, but like, yeah, it's just a really, it's just a really cringy thing to, to have to experience. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the next uh, Bellator. I mean, there's uh, his combat is uh, at one point. Oh, Ricky oh. Lou's even fighting Chris Weedman in his current state. Oh. Like, fucking. I'm not watching that clip, by the way. I kind of refuse to watch it. We'll reference it in a UFC fighter who broke his leg, much in the same way as Anderson Silva. His shin just snapped, Whoa. and his foot just went um, very brutal. No, no, no. Yeah, I think, you know what, maybe we should do a reaction video of me watching Lords of Chaos and screaming. Like, it would be pretty funny. We could do that one day. Yeah, at one point I just got really angry. I was like, fuck this shit! So, like, <laughs> we should do a grip Lords of Chaos screaming reaction. Yeah. It would be really bad. Yeah, such a shit film. There's a few jump scares in it as well. There's which, jump scares! Yeah, there's a couple jump scares, which actually, jump scares always catch me. So I can't believe been caught by a fucking jump scare in Lords of Chaos. So do they have like the the guy killing himself Dead. and the guy? Yeah, so yeah. Dead kills himself. Dead kills himself. That's, like, that's the point at which you, I watched. Euronymous takes a picture. They do yeah. have all that stuff in there. The way they even did it was just so like goofy. Yeah. 
from what I remember, right? I am I'm trying to remember, but yeah, because it, how it's framed, Euronymous is the good guy. Yeah. In the film, so he's... Yeah. And towards the end of the film, he cuts his hair short that's, and starts dressing the, normally. The, the oh, so like, yeah, my get out. yeah, my phase has ended, and, oh. and that's when Varg goes to kill him. Oh, and, he, yeah. and there's a scene where he drinks some chocolate milk, which is like totally like Varg or Euronymous. Varg, yeah. So while he's stabbing him, like in self-defense, like how <laughs> he takes the time out to grab some chocolate milk out the fridge and drink it. But, but like. But there's no explanation as to why that is in there. I don't know, maybe to make him look a bit more socio-psychotic. Yeah, that's probably why, right? But, um, yeah. yeah, it's, um, I, I forgot a lot of what happened in that film, but it was a shit. It's just really bad. It sounds yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I'm glad it's bad, because if it was good, then there'd be way more edgelords. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing that I have heard, just while we're on the topic of films quickly, is that the taste of metal is meant to be quite good. It's the Riz Ahmed it film. It sucks so much. No, hard, don't. Dude. Look, it's depressing, but I think it's... I haven't watched it, because it's okay. so depressing that when Shem told me... Shem just... I was like, <laughs> I was, I, I was like hey Shem. Uh, Shem, I'm feeling really bad today. I'm kind of depressed. And Shem was like, let me tell you about this really depressing film. Uh, and 20 minutes later, I was like... I feel worse. He gets tinnitus, <laughs> right? That's the yeah. Plot, yeah. No, it's it's really it's upsetting. It it's it's a good film, yeah, but it's depressing as shit. Yeah, and there's no metal in it whatsoever. I don't know why they called it the sound of metal because his band's like an art rock band. They're oh. not metal. I don't know why they said that. I don't know. Well, maybe that's why. It's the same all, reason why the. There's like he plays drums for like five, ten seconds at the start of the film, yeah. and then the whole film is just set in like a deaf commune. Yeah. And nothing happens apart from it's just depressing and sad. It sounds like it's a, a, like an introspective drama about the psychological impact of losing your hearing as a musician. I think that will probably appeal to a lot of people in the scene and it's probably an important film to watch because people do not look after their hearing, including you! It is very you true! Have to force I it to agree with you. I'm not wearing earplugs. Yeah. It is very true. I have tinnitus. I don't know a single person who listens to metal that does not have tinnitus and that's not a good thing. It's not something that like we should boast about. It's like... I, my worst nightmare is to lose my hearing. I don't know what I'd rather lose, my sight or my hearing. I it's, yeah, it's a real tough one. It's, it's, it's yeah. traumatic. There's a scene where like he has to stop playing because like he at first he just tries to push through it and he's like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not a big deal. And like he he's like kind of just like talking over people mm-hmm. and like he he's trying to cover up the fact he can't hear them and he's playing a gig and he just fucking just stacks the gig and he just gets up and like walks out and he just like has a panic attack in an alley. Yeah. And then like his girlfriend who's like the singer and guitarist in his band like comes out and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then like she realizes and then like uh, that like that's the turning point where he's like, oh no, this is real. Yeah, I don't even want to watch that. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's upsetting. That's what I'm it's saying. depressing. Like, I don't want to watch it for that reason. No, I won't. No, but it I do. Was I do think that like I don't want to necessarily stop people from watching it if it means that someone watches it and is like, you know, what? I'm going to get my ears checked. I'm going to get some earplugs because I no, think right. that is a good clarification. You're, you're very to me. right. It it's not a bad film. No, it's, it's not a, bad. Film. It's a scary Sorry. film. It's scary for people like us who are musicians. Yes, and that's good. No, it should be scary. It's a very well filmed. Riz Ahmed acts very well. Riz Ahmed is an incredible actor. He's a very good actor. I'm not slating his performance or the director or anything like that. My issue is with the people... It's a feel-bad film. No, my issue is with the people that promoted the movie and made it was like a music movie. Because it's not, but I do 100% agree with you. It's super important for musicians to watch and understand the, the... Fucking how important it is to look after your and hearing. music fans too. Like if you enjoy and, yeah, music, and music fans who right. just go to gigs. Yeah, you don't have to be in a band or a musician. So like when I started going to gigs, right, it was cool not to wear earplugs. It was cool to stand at the front 
and like not wear, and I went to incredibly uh, yeah. loud shows and did not wear earplugs. And I was yeah. like, oh, that was so cool. And I'd have tinnitus. I'd be like, oh, I had the real gig experience because I have tinnitus for three days. And yeah. that's, I, you know, when you hear tinnitus, you're never going to hear that frequency again. That's the last time you hear it forever. Can I just say something that's important for stubborn assholes like me? <laughs> um, is that I don't like wearing those cheap foamy earplugs that you get at venues and stuff. Um, because they cut too much sound out and you can't hear anything. Nina got me to buy a proper pair of earplugs. They're 20 pounds. From Amazon, they're like 20 pounds. You can probably get I them once for like 15 pounds. Yeah. And you, you get a little case that you put on your keys and it just, you carry them around with you. have always got them. And they've got filters, so they just cut out the highest damaging frequencies and the lowest damaging frequencies, but you can hear everything else okay. Yeah, and a really important thing, so any musician in the UK, if you can prove that you've got released music or you've played a show, for free, you can go to a charity in Camden. It's a really nice place. They'll test your ears and they'll, they'll make you a pair of moulded earplugs that normally cost £150. They'll do it for about 40 quid, And you That's get a hearing, hearing test. They'll syringe your ears if, they, if you need your ears syringed. Yeah. And they will tell you like what free like they they told me exactly how many frequencies I've lost. I've lost like the top and the bottom frequencies. Yeah. Like a bit. And um yeah, they they'll just tell you what state your ears are in. I have those earplugs, I've used them live, and I've used these twenty pound Amazon earplugs live. The Amazon earplugs are better. Yeah. No way. The Amazon earplugs are better. They're like they're easier to wear, you hear more and they actually block out more sound. Yeah. And the filters like I whenever I listen to a band or if I'm performing I always wear the filtered earplugs. They're only 20 quid. You can just go on Amazon, type in filtered earplugs. There's like five different brands selling the exact same thing. And it's just, honestly, it's the best investment you're going to make in terms of your health and how much you enjoy music. Because it's nicer than having the foam earplugs. And it feels better and you can't even see them because they're clear. It's nicer than not being able to hear as well. It sure is, yeah. right? Yeah, how can you hear someone giving you an awesome compliment about your merch if you have no hearing? I just remember like everybody kind of bragging the day after a festival. Was like, oh yeah, dude, I, I fucking still got ringing in my ears. Just like, that's just not cool. That's not <laughs> that's good. Not yeah. Yeah, I always wear earplugs now. Um, the only downside, well, it's not a downside, but it just makes me feel kind of sleepy, which is why I post. <laughs> can't sleep on the barrier for bloodbath. Uh, <laughs> damnation. Nothing against any um, of bloodbath, but I was super tired. I travelled up to damnation on the day. I went gym in the morning. And gym at five a.m. Got the train at eight a.m. It started at twelve. It finished at twelve p.m. So I was just fucked. I just, I, I love the idea that the members of Bloodbath saw them <laughs> while they were playing live and they were just like, damn. Yeah, I, yeah, I would feel so unappreciated. Uh, yeah. If I saw someone sleep on a barrier, I'd be like, wow. <laughs> Look at uh, this fucking asshole. Someone <laughs> <laughs> is an asshole, but like, from the perspective of the band, that's a really yeah. unusual thing to see. <laughs> I, I, the good thing is I have my hair cut, so I have that generic look. Yeah. <laughs> like, big guy, yeah, band you. shirt, beard, bald. So like just every every guy at festival. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's about ten of me on the barrier alone. So. <laughs> that's a, that's cool. <laughs> I, I just love that. That's amazing. It's a very funny mental image. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to stop. I think so. I think so. All right. Thank you so much for watching. Feel free to like and subscribe. Uh, if you want to be on the podcast, give us a shout if you're a musician or an industry person. If you want to recommend us something to listen to, please do. We will check it out. Thank you and goodbye. Until next time.